observe the Lord's Supper together typically on a Sunday that, a month that has five Sundays, we, we do that on the fifth Sunday of the month. So, of course, in September, there are five Sundays in September. And so, today is the, the Sunday that we observe the Lord's Supper and our kids will stay with us through worship today. I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We are studying our way through portions of the book of Acts. Now, not from not from uh, cover to cover, not beginning to end through the book of Acts, but we're looking particularly at a season in the life, in the growth of the early church from the days immediately following what we think of as the birth of the church at Pentecost until the point where the church really becomes a missional movement. And that happens through, in large part, through the, what God is doing, what the Spirit is doing in the life of the church in Antioch. And so we began by looking at the apostles and the way that the apostles were persecuted and yet proclaimed boldly the name of Jesus. We looked at the way that we saw that movement begin to spread and that there were issues along the way in the church and God raised up people like the seven first deacons who were called and, and that God used men like Stephen and Philip to take the gospel and proclaim the gospel. As the church was scattered through persecution, God even saved the persecutor, someone like Saul, who we know as Paul because he later went by that name. And that God takes this man who once was the, 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 one of the, the most, most ardent persecutors of the church and turns him into an apostle who helps spread the gospel to the nations and that God is working in the life of the church. And now we're introduced in Acts chapter 11 to the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch, I would say, is maybe one of my favorite groups to study or look at in the New Testament. I really love what we see about God doing in the life of this church in Antioch. And in, in terms of just its real estate in the New Testament, it doesn't occupy that much space. I mean, we're talking about Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 12, parts of Acts 12 even, and Acts chapter 13. We, we don't see a whole lot written about what God is doing, and yet... So much of the rest of the New Testament, when we think of the letters of Paul and the churches that were established through Paul's missionary journeys and, and how the church grew and expanded to the Gentiles, that really comes as a product of what God was first doing in the life of this church in Antioch. And so I want us to look at that together. And we're going to look particularly at the Marks this morning, the marks of the church in Antioch, the, the, the distinctive features, if you want to think of it that way, the, the distinguishing marks of the church in Antioch. And of course, as you might have guessed, it's not just about the church in Antioch. This isn't just about a history lesson. And really, this is about us. The reason we want to study these distinguishing marks, these distinctive features about the church in Antioch is because ultimately, I believe that a church that is that is a, a, a church on mission, a church that is focused on the mission that God has called us to as his people will, will bear these same marks today just as we see them in the life of the church in Antioch. Well, it's Sunday, of course, and that means that it's going to be Sunday afternoon before long. And I know that one of your favorite things to do on Sunday afternoon is take a nap, right? You, we love it. Everybody loves the Sunday afternoon after church nap. And you know that you've had a good nap 
when you wake up and there are those lines, those creases on your face, you know what I'm talking about, right? You wake up and it, and it looks like uh, it looks like you've you know, got some kind of strange deformity or something that lasts for a little while because you get, those, you get those, those creases on your face. When I was a kid growing up, we had this couch that was covered in a fabric that the best way that I know to describe it is that it was like corduroy, okay? I mean, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a fabric that had the sort of, I, I think of it as the ridges, like what you see in a, in, a, in a corduroy type of fabric. And if you would ever take a nap on this couch and you would wake up, you would have lots of little lines, you know, running up and down the side of your face or whatever from, uh, from napping on this couch. You know you have had a good nap when you wake up and you bear the marks of the nap, right? Well, we think about bearing marks. We think about distinguishing features. A lot of things that we could say about that. But there are some key distinctives in this early church, some marks that they bear that are a sign that, that God was moving in their midst. Undeniably, we see these distinctive marks in the life of this church in Antioch that that point us to this truth that God is up to something in this church, in, in these people, and this is what it looks like. And the reason we're going to study it is because we want to be that kind of church today in Chickasha. We want to be that kind of church that, that shows the obvious, distinctive characteristics of the hand of God at work in our midst. Now, I'm grateful that I can see it, that we see God at work in so many ways, in so many different places in the life of our church. And yet, we don't ever want to say, oh, well, well good, we've, we've done that. Because we don't, we don't want to be comfortable with what's happened in the past. We understand that the mission is, is constantly unfolding before us, that the, the mission isn't accomplished until Jesus returns. And so there is work to do. And if we are to be a church and to continue to be a church that, that operates as a people with a mission, then we want to we want to see these distinctive marks as the Spirit of God moves in us and works among us. So there's going to be five marks that we look at, five distinctive features of this church that, that we would pray, ultimately, the, the point of the message today is going to be prayer. God, would you move in our midst in this way? We want to be responsive to you as the church in Antioch was, that you might move in our midst just as you were moving in their midst. So what are these distinctive features, these distinctive marks? Well, the first one that we're going to see is this, is that they responded to the gospel. That may seem overly simple when you think about it. We think, well, they were a church, right? Yeah, they responded to the gospel, but, but that's, that's actually, that's actually in, in many ways, it's foundational. Maybe even we might think of it as pre-foundational, that the church is a group of people who have trusted in Jesus but unless we've trusted in Jesus, then we're just a group of people. We're, we're not a, truly a church. What makes us a church is our faith in Christ. And we see that because they trusted in Jesus, because they responded by faith to the proclamation of the gospel, that a church was born in Antioch and that God was moving in their midst in, in really a powerful way. Let's read together in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. We read that those who were scattered because of the persecution. Now, what was the persecution? We've seen this. The persecution, what was taking place in Jerusalem, in the, in the synagogues, and in, in the temple, in and around the worship of the Jews in Jerusalem, as, as there was opposition from what we would think of as the establishment, 
from the the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these different groups, also the, the, the Essenes and the Zealots, these groups that together comprise what we would refer to as the Sanhedrin. And it was just, uh, it, it's not, it, it, there's not an exact uh, representation of that in our culture today, but maybe in, in some level that you might think of it along the lines of like the Congress, the, the two houses of our Congress where you've got a Senate and you've got representatives, but yet these groups together work as a Congress. They're sort of a legislating and, a, and an authoritative body. Well, that, the Sanhedrin worked in a similar way. You have these different groups, these different religious sects that each have different ideas and, and beliefs that were both religious and political, but together they ruled, they, they had some semblance of rule and influence over the Jewish people in Palestine and in Judah and Judea, the surrounding area. Even though they were occupied by the Romans, they were given a, a measure of self-governance and, and the Sanhedrin were key influential in that. So the Sanhedrin began to persecute the church because th- this stood to this stood to oppose all that they were and, and, and disestablish their power if people believed that we, we trust in Jesus now and not the law of the Pharisees and these others. And so uh, pretty quickly as the gospel began to be preached, there was opposition that arose and it became intense. And in response to that, the church was scattered. But God used even that scattering to establish multiple different preaching points in many different towns and cities throughout Palestine. And so all in these different cities and these different villages and and towns, the believers were scattered and wherever they would go, they would begin to preach the gospel and the church would spring up wherever they were preaching about Jesus and teaching about Jesus. We see that the church is born, the church springs up and that's exactly what this is referring to. So as persecution happens that arose over Stephen, we see that that believers traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, Antioch was a key point. Antioch was a key city that was located along a major trade route. It was uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a particularly influential area, much like we saw Caesarea, a similar type of city. Uh, but Antioch was, in, in many ways, in the ancient Near East, it was the third most prominent city in the ancient Near East because of its location, because of its significance. And so Antioch is one of many cities where the gospel spreads and a church is born. Verse 20, we read, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch. They spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who are believers, who are, who are Christians as we think of them. They're not called Christians yet, but that's, that's the, the, the term, the label that we would give them today. So, these early Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene arrive in Antioch. And whereas other groups only preached among the Jews they began to preach among a group who were called Hellenists. Hellenists were Greeks, ethnically and in many ways culturally. They identified with Greek customs, Greek practices. And so they began to preach the gospel among Hellenists, among non-Jews, if you want to think of it that way. 
And there were a great number of them who responded to the preaching of the gospel. Verse 21, we see that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So one of the distinguishing marks of the early church, although this may seem overly simple, it in many ways is so necessary, important, is that they responded to the gospel. You know, one of the things that the church ought to experience is that there ought to be response to the gospel in our midst. Typically, when I talk about response to the gospel, probably what you, what you presuppose that I mean when I say response to the gospel is that people were being saved. We saw salvations, and let's put it in a, in a, in a modern context right here in our church. We would think of this as we see salvations and we see baptisms. And I would say wholeheartedly, yes, that is a part of it. But it's not just that. You understand, you don't just respond to the gospel by being saved and baptized. Response to the gospel is a continual thing that happens in our hearts as we surrender and again and again, day after day, as we, as we live in obedience and submission to the movement of Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And the way that we respond to the gospel is not just by walking an aisle, filling out a card, professing a decision, being baptized. Those are all important indicators of what's taken place in our hearts and in our lives, no doubt. But the way that we respond to the gospel is by daily surrendering our lives to Jesus, daily living in submission and obedience. So when you hear this, don't just hear that they responded to the gospel, okay, well, I've done that, as if it's something that you do and then you move on. This is a daily thing to live in response and obedience to the movement. I want to I try to help change that mindset, if, it, if it's there at all, that says, well, I, I did that in the past and it's done, it's taken care of. But this is something that happens again and again, day after day, as we make the conscious decision to live in submission to, surrender to the will of God, the movement of God. That's how we respond to the gospel. We say, Lord, I'm yours. And I want to be responsive to your will. And I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to follow after you. Now, the product of that in the church in Antioch was specifically salvation. We see that the Lord added to their number. A great many came to faith. But the reason that a great many came to faith is because those who were of the faith were doing their job, so to speak, proclaiming the message, preaching the gospel, living it out in a way that was attractive and compelling and inviting for others. And so they responded to the gospel. A church that bears the marks of God's movement will respond, will be responsive to the gospel. The second mark that we see in this church in Antioch is that they demonstrated God's grace. They demonstrated God's grace. Keep reading. In verse 22, this report, or the, excuse me, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So word travels, right? Word travels to the church in Jerusalem. They hear about what's happening in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Barnabas saw what God was doing and it pleased his heart. He was happy to see this movement of God. They, that, that amongst these believers in Antioch, that there were the signs of genuine faith. Now, consider this. The reason that the church in Jerusalem sent 
Barnabas in the first place is because they were suspicious of what's happening in Antioch because it didn't match their preconceived notions of what the movement of God would look like. Why? Well, specifically because these believers were Hellenists. These were not Jews. The gospel was being proclaimed amongst non-Jews in Antioch, and they were surrendering their lives to Jesus. They were coming to faith. The church in Jerusalem comprised almost entirely of Jews. Here's this, and they think, wait a second, What's going on? And so they, they send Barnabas, one of their key leaders in the, in, in the church in Jerusalem, the son of encouragement, as we've seen him referred to previously in, the, in Acts in our study. And they send Barnabas to Antioch to go see what is happening. Is this real? Is this genuine? Are these, port, these reports that we're hearing, are they true? Is this really a movement of God? Are they preaching the gospel? Is this really... Is this really a movement of Jesus amongst these non-Jews? And Barnabas arrives in Antioch, and what he sees confirms to him that, yes, this is the real thing. This is real. This is genuine. This is a movement of God and a movement of his Holy Spirit. And so, seeing the grace of God, it says that he was glad. It made, it pleased Barnabas. It made his heart happy to see that they were that they were responding by faith to Jesus. You know, a church that bears the marks of the Holy Spirit, the movement of God, will demonstrate God's grace, specifically in the church in Antioch. The way that they demonstrated God's grace is that there were signs of salvation, of gospel advance, of discipleship that was taking place. I mean, think about what are the key distinctive features that you would think, okay, if I were to look at a church, let's say that I were, let's say that I were coming to this church, and if I were to ask myself the question, how, do, how would I know if this church is, is legit? right? How would I know if this church is, and to use kind of our language today, this is a genuine place. This is the real deal, that God is alive and he's moving in First Baptist Church in Chickasha. How would I know? Well, you're not going to look necessarily just at their programs. You're not just going to look at their calendar of events because a church can have lots of programs. They can have lots of account, you know, the calendar can be full of events. You're not just going to look at how much money they give, that's, those are all good things. Those are, those are important things even. I'm not meaning to diminish any of that. You're not just going to say, well, what, what's the music like? Or what's the space, the physical space like? Or how welcoming are the people? Those are all important things. But if you really want to know, is God moving here? And are we serious about what we claim to believe? You're going to look for movement of the Holy Spirit, Right? You're going to look for the marks of God in the life of this church. And it's not just about how many events we have or how much money we give. Or it's not just about how, you know, our, how our music, do you like the music? It's not just about how friendly are the people to me. There, there are a lot of people that when they go to a church, they look for those things. But if all they're looking for are those things, they're looking for the wrong things, right? If you really want to know, is God there? Is God at work? Is the movement of the Holy Spirit? Then you're going to look for things like, well... Are they preaching the gospel? Do we see response in the lives of people? Or is there, a, is, there, is there something in my spirit as a believer that identifies and, 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 and recognizes the movement of the Holy Spirit in their midst? Is the gospel advancing? Are people's lives being transformed? Are disciples being made? Those are the kinds of things that you look for. Now, when that happens, 
When those things happen, then yes, we're going to fill up the calendar full of things because we're going to look for ways to gather together and fellowship with one another and raise up our kids in these things. When that happens, you're going to see that a church gives money. Yes, because we're going to be committed to, devoted to the teaching of Scripture, that we should tithe, that we should, that we should unite together for the purpose of God and the mission of God and work and ministry here locally and even to the ends of the earth. When that happens, people ought to be friendly and warm and welcoming because there's something in us that's transformed us and changed us, the movement of God in our hearts that, that gives us compassion for and a, others and a desire to be together and, and unites us together in fellowship. The worship ought to be vibrant and alive regardless of the style of songs we sing, right? There ought, to be a, uh, there ought to be life in the worship because we see that God is moving. But those are all byproducts of the more significant thing. The grace of God, the movement of God in the midst of the pe- people produces spiritual life. And when Paul arrives in Antioch, he senses the spiritual life. I said Paul, excuse me, Barnabas arrives in Antioch. He senses the spiritual life, the vitality that is evidence of the grace of God that is at work. Lives are being changed. The gospel is being preached. Disciples are being made. And Barnabas says, this is it. This is the real, this is the real thing. We read after that then that he encourages them. He encourages them to continue laboring with steadfast purpose. And that's really the third mark of the church in Antioch, is that they labored with steadfast purpose. In, in the midst of all that they were against in the, in the cultural uh, situation that they found them, in the midst of all the, all the pressures from without, in the midst of all the things that would be happening among them as they're this, this, uh, this, this group of individuals who now have come together as a body, as a church, in spite of all that was happening, they labored with steadfast purpose for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Barnabas, seeing what God is doing and seeing what's happening, he says, keep doing it. Let's read that. The latter half of verse 23, we pick up where we left off. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So seeing what God is doing, seeing how God is at work, Barnabas says, keep going, keep doing this. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas, being a man of the Lord, Barnabas, being a man of great faith, recognizes that what's happening in Antioch is a genuine movement of the Holy Spirit, even though it wasn't what the church in Jerusalem expected, or maybe even we might say had, had blessed or put their stamp of approval on. This is outside of what the, the church in Jerusalem had commissioned. But yet Barnabas arrives and he says, no, this is real. This is legitimate. And he exhorts them, which exhort is a fancy way of saying he challenges them to remain faithful, to continue with steadfast purpose. Now, the only way that they could continue with steadfast purpose is if they already had some steadfast purpose, right? Otherwise, he would be challenging them to to have steadfast purpose. So it's, it's evidence of the fact that this was happening already. He exhorts them, he challenges them to continue with steadfast purpose. What you're doing, in essence, Barnabas says, keep doing. Because what you're doing is working. God is moving. The grace of God is on you. You're responsive to the gospel. Keep going. Keep laboring with steadfast purpose. The fourth thing that we see is this distinguishing mark then in the next 
couple of verses is that they exhibited a bold witness. So as these things are happening, God's, God's Holy Spirit is moving, that people are being changed by the power of the gospel, lives are being transformed, and the church grows because the people of the church lived out a bold witness. Look at this in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So Barnabas leaves for a time, and he goes and finds Saul, who is in Tarsus, who's been in this town of Tarsus for a a period of time at this point. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And then this, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So they exhibited a bold witness such that people outside began to refer to them as Christians. Now, let's, let's break that word Christian down. We are so familiar with this term today that when we hear that, oh, they first call them Christians, we think, uh, okay, right? I mean, we don't think that much of it. But actually, in its original purpose, in its original uses, usage, to call them Christians was meant as a slight. It was meant as Slander. This was a slang term that would have been used in a derogatory manner to call them Christians, to say that they were little Christs. Oh, that group of people, they're a bunch of little Christs. That's literally what it meant. Christians meant that they were little Christs. That's a bunch of people who, little people who think that they're anointed by God or something. It was meant in a derogatory manner, and yet the church bore it as a badge of honor. The, the church heard that, and, and they... They welcomed it, that they would be called like Christ, that they were living their life in such a, such a powerful and such a, a spirit-led way that others who saw them would refer to them as a little Christ. And so the church celebrated this. It's a sign of their bold witness. It's a sign of the fact that they were serious about living out the example, the, the witness of Jesus about imitating his example, about following in obedience. They took literally the words of Jesus when Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so they were like, yeah, well, then let's do it. We love Jesus, let's obey his commands. And, and they took that seriously. And so they began to be referred to as little Christ. Now, obviously the label stuck, right? I mean, you can tell that it took because we refer to ourselves as Christians today. That's the badge that we continue to wear, a name that we continue to wear with honor and, and, and one that we, that we would identify with. But that came from a group of people who took seriously the call of Jesus. And it happened first in the church in Antioch. They exhibited a bold witness. And fifth, we see this mark in, the, in these final verses of chapter 11, that they followed the Spirit's leadership. They followed the Spirit's leadership. Verse 27, we read, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem. Once the church in Jerusalem figured out that what was happening in Antioch was, was of Christ, that, was, that it really was a movement of the Holy Spirit, that, that this was about Jesus genuinely, they began to send prophets to Jer- from Jerusalem to Antioch to preach the gospel. One of them named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So that's a contextual clue that's embedded there by Luke, the writer of Acts, to tell us that this happened. So, so 
Agabus stands up and through the movement of the spirit, he predicts that there would be a famine throughout all the world. And verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea because the brothers living in Judea, the church in Judea would have been in some of the most heavily persecuted areas. They determined, those in Antioch determined we ought to send money to them to help support them. They're gonna have needs and so we ought to pool our resources together to help send relief to them so that they can continue to function as a church, that they can continue to preach the gospel, that they might be able to support themselves because many of those in Judea would have been ostracized from their families and their, and their previous Jewish faith because they had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, professing Jesus. Verse 30, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So God is at work. And the, the product of this movement of the Spirit is that the gospel is being preached. And, and even we see sort of this prophetic word sent by the Spirit through Agabus. But all of that just points to the fact that the church was responsive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Agabus was preaching, proclaiming the gospel. And when the Holy Spirit spoke a word to him, he shared that and people responded. And the way that they responded, even that was a sign of the movement of the Holy Spirit. They were responsive to the Holy Spirit. So the church in Antioch, they responded by faith to the gospel. They demonstrated God's grace with one another in the way that they lived their lives. They labored with a steadfast purpose. They exhibited they exhibited this movement of God that led to a bold witness and they followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see how all of those things are tied together and how important it is that a church today, if you wanna know, uh, is a church today a church that's alive, a church that is, that is, that is doing things the way they should, a, a church that is, that is really living in response to movement led by the Spirit of God, you're gonna look for these signs. A church that's responsive to the gospel, a church that demonstrates the grace of God, a church where the people gather together and in their worship you see this presence of God, this movement of God. And, and then those same people say, you know what? Let's keep doing it. What we're doing, let's keep. Let's labor together that God will continue to move. That they're gonna live out that bold witness and ultimately they're gonna follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Those are distinctive marks of the church in Antioch. But... If we're going to be a people with a mission today, those ought to be distinguishing marks of our church as well. And hear me, okay? Because here's, it all leads up to this. Everything, all of this leads to this point. It's not just about the church, First Baptist Church at Chickasha. We understand that the church ultimately is comprised of us as individuals. And so if this is going to be true of us as a church, the only way that this will be true of us as a church is if this is true of us on an individual level as well. So this is what it comes down to to you. Are you responsive? Are you responsive to the gospel? Are you living in submission to the gospel? Does your life demonstrate this clear movement of God, the grace of God? Do you labor with steadfast purpose? Are you determined? Are you committed? Or do you... Or do you just give up when things get tough? Do you labor with steadfast purpose? Do you exhibit a bold witness? 
Are you led by the Holy Spirit? That won't be true of us as a church unless that's true of us as individuals inside of the church. And that's the point. If we're going to be a people with a mission, we, our lives ought to look like what we see in Antioch. And when our lives on an individual level look like what we see in Antioch, and our lives corporately together as a church, as a people is going to look like this, and God is going to move. Now, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I see the evidence of this. As your pastor, I want to tell you, I see the evidence of this, the witness of this in the lives of our people. And I don't mean in each and every one of us uh, to the fullest extent, probably not in any of us to the extent that it could be and ought to be and should be, but, but I see this nonetheless. But let's not be comfortable with that and say, oh, good, we did that. No, this is the thing that we do day after day as we wake up and we make the decision to live in response to God, to surrender our lives to him, to respond to his gospel, to have a bold witness, to be led by his spirit day after day. And if we commit our lives to that and devote ourselves to that, then God will move in our midst. And just like we see the spirit move in Antioch, the spirit will move among us today. And here's what, I, what you need to hear is that the people around us in the community who don't know Jesus don't even know it, perhaps, but they desperately need us to be a church on mission. They desperately need us to be a church that is, that is determined to live for these things. What, what, what the people in our world and our culture and our community need today is for First Baptist Church and all the other churches that profess faith in Jesus, which I don't pastor, I pastor this one, right? So what, what they need is for us to be a church who are serious about the mission of God, to do what God has called us to do. And so let's covenant together, let's commit together to be a people who are responsive to the gospel, who demonstrate God's grace, who labor with steadfast purpose, who exhibit a bold witness and are led by his spirit, that we might lead others to faith in Jesus. In a moment, we're going to enter into a time of response, a time of invitation. And in our moment of invitation today, I pray that you would be responsive to God's leadership in your heart. That if there's any part of this that the Lord is speaking to you today saying, ah, that's, that's you, that you would be responsive to him, that you would be listening and willing to obey him. Maybe he's calling you to salvation in Christ. Maybe today is the day that you surrender your life to Jesus. And just as we saw response to the gospel that led people to, to commit their lives to Jesus in Antioch, that I pray that God would do that in our midst today and that someone would be at that point where they're ready to surrender their life to Jesus. Maybe it's that you want to be united with this church. You want to say, you know what? The Lord wants us to be here to be united with this body because we want to be a people on mission together with the people of First Baptist Chickasha. Maybe it's just that God's challenging in you in some way. Are you laboring with steadfast purpose? Are you demonstrating the grace of God? Are you responsive to the gospel? Do you have a bold witness? Are you led by the Spirit? And God is saying, look, this is you and he's speaking to you today. I pray that you would respond in obedience to him. And so I'm gonna lead us in a word of prayer. And after I do, we're gonna stand together. And as we stand in that time, we sing a song together. That's the moment where we wanna respond in obedience to what God is doing and speaking in our midst today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would move in our midst, that you would stir in our hearts, that we would see that response in us.